Hello, and thank you for joining me today for a little bit of Bible study. This is a little bit of a different setup than we're used to, and I know we miss gathering in person, but I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to still encourage one another and speak truth over one another and have some community together in the Spirit. A group of ladies and I have been praying for the last few months in preparation for this study together. And we know that God knew what it would look like, even when we didn't. The format of this study is going to be entirely online, but we do encourage you to grab a buddy or two to keep closer connection with during these few weeks. Um, you can pray together, maybe do some homework discussion together, and take care of each other. We're going to have a video lesson from me every other week. Um, these will also be available as podcasts from Covenant Life Church if you'd prefer. And I'll also be posting a PDF of notes from my message when I post videos so that you can follow along. And then on the weeks where I'm not teaching, we'll have the opportunity to hear from some of the other ladies and what's going on in their hearts. We will have weekly homework to keep you on track. And we are very grateful to Danny for hosting us on her blog and making it possible for us to hear from all these women during this time. This study will go on for about eight to 10 weeks, but we will keep everyone updated on that as we move forward. And then the comments for the blog posts will be available to you. Um, so please get involved, make comments, Start some conversation there so that we can all gather together. And then if you are ever having technical difficulties, please let us know so we can help. I'm excited about our time together. This is new and different, and I'm expectant of what the Father is going to do. So I'm going to open us in prayer. Father, thank you for your purposes and for your faithfulness to us. Pray that you would help us as we're in different homes to lean on you and to lean on each other, to help us know that we're not alone. That you would help us walk into the full benefit of being your children. Send your spirit to have communion with us and help us to be with you where you are, to look at what you're doing and respond to it. Thank you for your generosity and your desire to be close to us. Help us to be close and generous with other people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The topic of our study for the next few weeks is experiencing God as our Father in an intimate way, learning what it means to be his adopted sons and daughters, and discovering how this relationship with him that is afforded to us changes everything. We are setting out to learn more about this spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We want to learn to yield to him, to live as God's children and heirs. My goal today is to give you a vision and to paint the big picture of this message. And this is probably the most difficult time for me. Knowing God as our Father is a concept that is talked about taught about, and consumed relatively widely. This isn't a bad thing at all. 
Tim Keller says that in the word Father, you have the gospel in miniature form. By calling him Father, you confess that Jesus came and died for you to make a way for your adoption, that you are coming to God only through his grace and mercy, and that you know he is committed to you, not only in your salvation, but to your ongoing well-being and redemption. This is a huge concept, and we definitely won't cover the extent of it theologically or experientially in these few weeks together. Besides, I can't really come to you on this topic as an expert, or even as one who has ongoing victory and believing and standing in God's fatherhood. But I am coming to share what is in my hand to give. God has been disciplining me in this area for the last few years. And we will come to find out that really every broken area in our lives is tied in some way to our mistrust of God's father heart. But in God's economy, our brokenness in this area is not really that far away from victory after all. So even though this is a huge concept, sometimes we do give in to overfamiliarity in this area. For much of my life, I could nod yes to religious language about God's goodness, His peace, and His joy that He offers freely to us. But it wasn't really touching me deep down. I knew that if I knew God, I should be able to access these gifts. So I faked it. I wasn't truly peaceful. I didn't always know what God's opinion was about my day, or my bad attitude, or that thing I was dreading. And if I had to honestly tell you what I thought his opinion was, it would have been do better, try harder, figure it out. I was just a victim to my circumstances and powerless to change my own emotions about my life. I was unsure how to handle things. What do I do when I am overwhelmed? What do I do when I feel anxious? What do I do when I have to do something that I don't want to do? What do I do when I am sad? When somebody hurt my feelings? What do I do when I just need some peace? Or when my life is really busy? Since the Bible says we should be joyful, peaceful, spirit-led, and kind, what happens when we're not? But the Bible doesn't say you should be these things. The Bible says these are the things of God. This is God's heart for you to have peace. He has paid for it. He has afforded it to us. You're not peaceful. You're not happy. You're not rising above your circumstances. Good. God's storehouse is for you. You're not where you could be. And it's good news. If this was it, and you'd gotten all you were going to get out of God, then I would be pretty hopeless. But the message of the Bible is that if you don't have access to this abundance, there is infinitely more of our Father's heart for you than you have ever been able to grasp before. Curtis spoke a few months ago, and he ended his message by saying, Tell them the kingdom of God is near. It is close to you. It is available to you. He said that one of the benefits of the kingdom is that there is actual victory over messed up lives, hopelessness, and over our circumstances. 
Don't settle or fake it. If you're not currently experiencing actual victory, he has more for you. If knowing God as Father really is the gospel in miniature form, then we can't really hope to fully master this father-daughter relationship in this life, just like we can't fully figure out all of the wonderful mysteries of the gospel. Benefit from them? For sure. But it's good to be reminded that we can't ever fully figure God out. And there is always more to his gifts and his person that we can get, on, get in on and be surprised by. In Psalm 78, 36, it says that the Israelites rebelled against God. He disciplined them, and they remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their Redeemer. But all they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They did not keep his covenant. Earlier in the same chapter, it says, they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. If we nod and say, yes, I know God is my father, without being willing to see areas where maybe we don't really live like we are his daughters, then we too are lying to him. Our hearts are disloyal to him. We aren't keeping his covenant. And if we aren't living like he is our great and glorious father, then we too are not trusting him to care for us. Knowing him as father is vital. The relationship with him is exactly what Jesus died for. The whole point of this study is that if God really is who he says he is, and we really are his children, then it really does change everything. It changes our bad days, our bad attitudes, our love for our spouse, our capacity, our resources. If he takes care of all of our needs, then why are we worried about money? Why do we say we need me time if it's not available to us? Or we need our kids to go to bed? We waste a lot of time thinking, I'm not okay, what do I need, and how can I get it? Rather, than knowing that he is working to take care of all of our needs. So we need to look for him and respond to what he is doing and trust that we will be taken care of in his process. Our lives are meant to be spent in communion with God and relating to him about everything that is going on. His amazing gifts are available to us within the relationship. He isn't trying to trick us. He didn't promise us all of these things and then say, jump a little higher. I don't think I'm ready to give you that yet. He said, I am with you. Come and be with me. We get to enter into his Zoe life by knowing him as he really is. We get to receive peace with people and our circumstances by knowing him as who he is. We receive all of his benefits through faith, believing and experiencing all that he is. I'm going to say that part again. We receive all of his benefits through faith. We talk about receiving through faith a lot, 
But what really is faith? Faith is when we believe he means good to us, and then we talk to him about whatever is in our hearts, and we get to experience his goodness to us right then and there through that faith. His power to change us, his love and compassion for what we are going through, his interesting and exciting personality. Again, in Curtis's message a few months ago about us being heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, he said we are heirs and fellow heirs, provided that we suffer with him and be glorified with him. That comes from Romans 8, 14-17. In other words, how much do you want to be included? In other words, we are God's children to the extent that we relate to him in our suffering of our lives and relate to him in the glory of our lives, knowing that he is sovereign and already he is intimately acquainted with those details. We benefit from our father-daughter relationship with him to the extent that we live with him. Sometimes we are asking to experience something from God, but really the issue is that while we are asking, we are believing lies about him, about his good intentions to us, about him working everything to our good. So asking to experience something in our life doesn't come close to knowing who he is and the unending love that he has for us in the midst of that life of it. These are a list, this is a list of signs that we maybe aren't believing or receiving who God really is. And they're in your notes. Number one, God seems mean or apathetic. The Bible seems stale. Obedience feels overwhelming, boring, or heavy. You are experiencing ongoing anxiety and dread. You're feeling like your life, your spouse, your kids, your circumstances, or others are taking things from you. So I've got a few examples of this one. Like getting really upset when your kids don't nap because you really need them to. Being inflexible when plans change because you fear that you won't be taken care of in the process. Wanting your spouse to love you in a certain way so much that you can't lay it down to love them in the way that God is calling you to. Or having an ongoing bad attitude about something that isn't going to change. Another sign that you aren't believing or receiving who God really is is feeling overwhelmed or like you are drowning. Or God's will in your life feels like a to-do list. Go to church, check. Read your Bible, check. Pray, check. Go to home group, love a neighbor, check, check. Another sign is that you're exhausted or you're looking for comfort. And often this would be in lesser or quicker means than the Lord can provide you. So eating or social media or watching TV or sleeping or a glass of wine. These things aren't inherently bad, but when we are looking for them 
to fill a hole that isn't first filled by the Lord? It's just a distraction, and it's just a numbing technique to keep us running from God instead of turning to face Him. Another sign is that you are discouraged or hopeless, or you are full of unmet needs. You know what I'm talking about. Like if one more person asks you for another snack before you've had breakfast, you're going to lose it. Another sign would be disproportionate responses. Like you're driving, a driver cuts you off, may not have even seen you, and you're like, oh my goodness, everybody is only looking out for themselves. Can't somebody just help me for once? Every time I see these signs in my life, I can choose to redirect my eyes and see where I am not trusting God's Father heart for me. This works for every season, even the dry, barren winter ones, where we can't really do all that much. By winter season, I don't mean literally. I mean a spiritual season, where God seems quiet, distant, or where fruit is not readily available. Winter seasons are where we are growing under the surface, and God's work is still very much being done, but we may not see the full extent of it until the harvest comes. Ruth Chu Simmons says that the winter season is for resting in God's character. Rest in who He is. Keep coming back to who He is and His heart for you, rather than your behavior or trying to strain to do better or feel better. But this process of reminding ourselves who God really is and resting in that is just that, resting in his true character. So this process of recognizing these signs and redirecting my eyes to see, wait, God means more for me. God means better for me in this area. And therefore, I don't have to feel this way or respond this way because my needs are met in him. This process is applicable to every season that you may be going through right now. Isaiah 28, 12-13 speaks of a people who would not enter into the Lord's rest. So his word to them became law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line, a little here, a little there. So they go stumbling backward to be broken, trapped, and captured. When we don't rest in the truth of his father heart, when we're settling for believing lies about his intentions toward us, we're not going to live the way that he intended. And it leads to exhaustion, to-do lists, stumbling, falling back, brokenness, and capture. Throughout my own process with the Lord over these last few years, I would be speaking with him about things in my life, and at different times he would say that is an orphan mentality. We're going to get into some of the differences between orphans and adopted sons next week, or the next week that I share. But it's important to note that our flesh has an orphan mentality, which stands in opposition to the spirit of adoption God sent to live within us. Our flesh is not vacant, just waiting to be adopted. 
it is working in the opposite direction. This orphan mentality birthed our sin nature. In the garden, Adam and Eve disobeyed because they believed that God was holding out on them, that they needed to take care of themselves, that God wasn't quite as good as he said he was. Sin does create distance between us and the Father, but it also comes from distance. Distance from believing lies about his intentions, his goodness, and his love for us. The more we talk to God about our hearts and our lives and listen to what he says, the more he is able to help us see these areas where we're not getting the full benefit of him as our father. His grace leans forward. He leans across the distance. His forgiveness of our sin creates intimacy where there was none before. Thankfully, we don't have to go back to where we were before we sinned. We get to move somewhere deeper with him and with the other people in our lives. In the next few weeks, we're going to cover some of the ways that orphans think versus the ways that adopted daughters think. We're going to look at some of the ways that God looks to grow our intimacy with him, our closeness to him. We're going to brainstorm about ways to maintain intimacy with the Father through all of the ups and downs of our lives. And we're going to focus on how God's generosity and closeness with us enables and enlarges us to be generous and close with other people. Right now, I just want to cover a couple of points to get you thinking and praying over the next few weeks about how close you live with the Father and where you may need to receive more of his care. My first point is that we live out of our present belief system no matter what. Even if we know we should act differently or think differently, if we don't know him and trust him and love him experientially, we won't live the way that he says we should. We try to make up for this sometimes by telling ourselves to change our behavior but we do more damage. If you're not acting like his child, you don't know him as your father. What a relief and a gift that we are invited to just believe him instead of wrestling our behaviors under control. My second point comes from Dr. Dow. He used to say that of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the easiest to touch. He leads us into the presence of Jesus. Jesus leads us into the presence of the Father. We can see some of the mystery of this relationship in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This is kind of a scripture that is difficult to just hear and understand, so I encourage you to look at it while we're talking about it. I'm going to read it one more time. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the Father who cared to shine light in our darkness. He's the Father of lights, 
who does not desire that we would be vulnerable to the enemy, held captive in darkness, or ignorant of his love and light. It says he's shown in our hearts. That's the Holy Spirit, God living in us, to bring us into the knowledge of his glory and goodness in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us see the face of Jesus. And that same light that shines in the face of Jesus shines in our hearts. Take a moment and think that it is not Jesus' instruction that brings us into the knowledge of God. Instead, it's his face. His eyes, his tone of voice, his heart. All of this that we can see in somebody's face. If this whole theological concept is true, then maintaining a right relationship with the Father is the culmination of communion with God, the Trinity. It is what comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to posture us, allowing Jesus to show us God's love, allowing both to speak truth over us and wash us, to make atonement for us and everything else they do in our lives. In the next few weeks, your real homework is that when you realize you are running from God or that you're hesitant to turn to Him, it is an opportunity for you to ask the Holy Spirit to the, or who He is, the Spirit of adoption. Ask Him to give you a right perspective of who the Father is because He can lead you there. My third point is that there is meaning behind the exact words your Bible uses to describe our relationship to God. Translations differ. Verses differ. Some verses will call us children of God, others sons of God, and sometimes sons and daughters of God. Some translations say that he has given us a spirit of sonship, some a spirit of adoption. These verses are overlapping truths. Yes, we women are God's daughters. He sees our gender. He made us this way. He reveals his character through us differently than he does in men. We're so grateful for these differences and we appreciate the variety. We love to see Jesus show countercultural compassion to women in the Bible by educating them, speaking directly to them, and by pointing out the hypocritical attitudes ingrained in the culture around them. Paul calling us all sons in Galatians was not a slight against women or an oversight. It was quite the opposite. Remember, Paul is the one that has said, there is no more male and female in the kingdom of God. Paul was explaining that in Christ's kingdom, nobody married in. Because in Jesus' culture, sons inherited from fathers. Husbands and fathers were expected to provide for the women in their households, but women would never have been named a direct heir. Nobody married in. Nobody was removed from the inheritance or needed to go through somebody else to get there. Men and women are equally privileged and exalted, co-heirs together and co-heirs with Jesus. We each receive the full inheritance God offers. We receive our own portion. Jesus gave himself up for us. 
We are filled and sealed by the Spirit. God himself is our final and ultimate portion and reward, as John Piper says. As you're working through your homework and reading all the scripture that talks about us being children of God, take note of which words they are using and the meanings behind them. They will add to your understanding of the Father's heart and his intentionality towards you. Number four, this study is not going to be a new method of relating to the Father or winning at your life. <laughs> Sometimes vulnerability and closeness with the Father changes the way we feel. He can literally lift burdens off of us and retrain our brains away from anxiety, fear, dread, negativity, judgment, bad attitudes. Sometimes, though, we are still going to feel and experience rough things. We can still become overwhelmed, experience deep tragedy and grief, go through periods of what seems like constant and unending transition. We can be sad. We can be nervous. People can still hurt your feelings. The fact that he is with us and fathering us is what makes the difference in the midst of some of these things. Sometimes we get stuck in a rut, trying to change things in our lives, and then we finally hear him saying, I'm in the middle of these things for you. You're trying to change the very space that I am inhabiting. All of this will work together for your good. We'll never know what benefit we could gain from drawing close to the giver ahead of time. Sometimes it takes a while to be changed or to gain new perspective. The mystery, the unknown, the pain, and the joy. It's not about sizing it all down to monotony in your life, or even responding perfectly to each circumstance right away. It's about sailing through with him. My fifth point is that our authority issues with God lead us to exercising a broken and ineffective authority in our own lives, meaning we cannot obey God or steward our gifts well because we cannot respond to him with a healthy perspective of love over fear. The point of our lives is not to never get things wrong or never need to be corrected. The point of our lives is to be taught. We have a real human need to live life so close to him that we don't divide up the times that we get things right or the times that we get things wrong. The Bible says that he disciplines those he loves, which means if you're going through a time of discipline with him, that is his full and unfailing love for you. That is your way to health and wholeness and thriving and fruitfulness. It is your best at work. God doesn't divide up his discipline from his blessing, from his love. It is all one thing. It is his purposes for you. When we're not living close to him because we dislike and fear correction, it means two, thing, two things. <laughs> we have an untrue view of his discipline and his heart. And secondly, we are most likely exhibiting 
an unhealthy authority in our lives over the people and gifts. This unhealthy authority can show up on a spectrum from the people and gifts that are under our authority to the people and gifts that were never meant to be. For the people that are under our authority, we can't fully access healthy stewardship over them. And so we end up acting out of this belief that they don't need to be taught just like we don't want to be taught, that they never need to be adjusted by us. And our wrath comes down on them when they make mistakes. And we end up saying ugly things like, you should know better. Why would you do that? <laughs> or you're being immature. And then we look at the people that we have no authority over and we think we do have the right to tell them what they should be doing. This is known as judging them. Let me say it another way. I'll give you two examples. Do you ever find yourself being overly bothered by an adult in your life or having a disproportionate response to someone while also looking at your young children and being overwhelmed by their wide range of emotions or inability to grasp adult concepts? Okay, so that's both of the spectrum. You are judging people that you don't get to tell what to do, other adults, and you shouldn't be that bothered by them. You should instead be able to use those resources to help your young children learn and help them grow. Or another example would be, do you ever find yourselves so inundated, so overwhelmed with social media friends that take up your time and your emotions that you don't have much to offer your neighbor or your home group member? If we are exhibiting these signs or are on this spectrum on either end or both ends, we most likely have an authority issue with the Father. And to make matters worse, this is often a time where the enemy comes in and accuses you because your priority list is out of whack and he makes you feel that you aren't doing anything in your life well. If you are in a place of feeling like you're doing nothing in your life well, there are two things. First, God always does everything well, even if sometimes we do not. And number two, take some time, go to God, and give him full room to talk to you about your priorities, your heart, and your obedience. And then let the rest go. The solution to a stewardship problem is to deal with our perspectives on his authority over us so that we can extend grace and good stewardship to those around us. Robert Grant was at our church a few months ago, and he told a story about his teacher sending home a letter saying he could do better work. It's us who think because a child can do better work, he should be doing better work. But really, we as the adults need to train the child what that means and how to live it out. What does it mean or look like to do your best work? How can we access the more we have through Jesus? Why should we care if we are doing our best? These are things children need to be taught. We adults are squirreling away 
from God's fathering of us. We think there's some hidden pressure for us to already know how to function, to have all the right answers and opinions. For all it's worth, I don't think that I've ever heard God say, you could do better work, just like that, with nothing else. His care and instruction is a lot more like an apprenticeship. It's hands-on. It applies to that specific moment. It's full of creativity and new possibilities because he is opening your eyes to new tools and new skills that you didn't have before. It's full of hope as he says, there is a better way and I am teaching it to you. It's full of power and his commitment to you. He is giving 100% and enabling us to give him more each day. The better way is to be poured out by him, and he doesn't keep score of the times that we haven't been able to enter into his eternal work. His greatest desire is to bring more freedom, more healing, more togetherness to our hearts, to bring us to him. He cares about us holistically, leaving nothing and no one out. I want to look at two scenarios that might be close to where you are in your season right now. These instances are about Jesus and people, but as we talked about earlier, Jesus leads us into the presence of the Father. So we're going to look at these honestly to shock our hearts back into seeing the unending compassion and love God has for us and how it's okay to be exactly where we are today. It is just our starting place. The first instance comes from John 13. So I'm going to turn there now. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that this his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean. Jesus knew 
Jesus knew that he was leaving his dearly loved friends. He knew what this would do to their hearts and their faith. He knew what it would ultimately do for the whole earth. He knew how the Holy Spirit would shake their world, but how these three days coming up would make them question if they really were loved, if they really were close to Jesus, if he really was God incarnate. And he so dearly loved them right to the end. And so he washed them, their dirtiest, ugliest, smelliest parts with his own hands and clothes tied around his own person. He said, if I cannot wash you, you'll have no part with me. And he so desperately wanted them to have a part with him, to be washed in his love and care so that when they went through the fiery trials, they could say, he loved me right to the end. He loved me when he knew he was going to be betrayed. And when the enemy came and accused them of their sin that Jesus had already declared forgiven, they could say, he called me clean. He washed me and he called me clean. Today, let Jesus wash you. Do not say that you should have known better. Do not say that you can clean yourself up. Just sit and let him wash you to love you and to care for you. He knows what is coming, and he desperately wants you to be with him in it. He wants to give you the care that you were made for, to look you over and inspect what the accuser has done. If you've been mistreated or abused, and he wants to anoint your head with oil to take away the friction of the world and the heaviness on your heart. What Jesus is doing right now, you may not understand, but you will understand afterward. The second scenario I want us to look at is Luke 18, 35 through 43. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. As Jesus and his followers arrived at Jericho, there was a blind beggar sitting on the roadside. When he heard the crowd approaching, he asked, What's all this commotion about? It's Jesus, they said. Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. The blind beggar shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity and show me mercy. Those who were in the front of the crowd scolded him and warned him to be quiet, but the blind beggar screamed out even louder, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Suddenly Jesus stopped. He told those nearby, bring the man over to me. When they brought him before Jesus, some translations say when he was quite close, he asked the man, what is it you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, Please, I want to see again. Jesus said, now you will see. Receive your sight this moment, for your faith in me has given you sight and new life. Instantly, he could see again. 
His eyes popped open and he saw Jesus. He shouted loud praises to God and he followed Jesus. And when the crowd saw what happened, they too erupted with shouts of praise to God. Son of David, don't pass me by. I don't want to miss you. I want to see. I want to see what you are doing. The only true deserts that we pass through are those where we don't have a strong sense of what God is saying to us. We just need to see him. We need his attention. We need to see his hands in our own lives as well as our neighbors. And Jesus suddenly stopped. And when the man came quite near, he said, what is it that you want me to do for you? Today, let's answer the question, what is it that you want him to do for you? And are you quite near enough to hear him? My very last point (laughs) is that he is all we really want. The aching in our chest, the situations we can't get over, the people we just can't forgive, the desperation or dissatisfaction that won't go away, the things we think will help us rest or will give us happiness or health, Really, he is all that we want. And the lies we believe about him keep us from seeing that. Our expectations for what our lives should look like can keep us from living in the life he has given. He is a father who doesn't give stones when we ask for bread. He is our all-powerful provider who walks with us in and out of all of our messes and victories, giving us light, life, wisdom, and compassion, and peace individually for every situation. We have access to the living and holy God, our creator who never sleeps nor slumbers, who never leaves us nor forsakes us, whose perfect love never fails, whose word does not return to him empty, who has an amazing story in place, that we are a part of, an intimate, personal relationship with him has been deeply desired, bought, and paid for. There's more to be afforded. There's more for me in my daily walk and life. This is another list that's in your notes. Because he is my father, sorrow and loss do not have the final word. We trust that he meets all of our needs for sleep, for relationship and community, for me time, for time with your spouse, for a job, for money, for energy. When you're suffering, when your day didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. We trust that everything works together for our good and his glory. We can come boldly to him with all of ourselves at any time. We can live differently. We can think differently. We can be taught, disciplined, cared for, and enjoyed by him. Because he is my father, we can live close to him. We get to be fathered by the one who made us, and nobody knows us better. We get to be fathered by the one who is never sorry for what he has to do for us. And everything that comes to us, comes through him first. We are not victims to anything ever.
because he redeems it all. We won't have a perfect life this side of heaven with no suffering or inconvenience. We have been called to lay our lives down. But we have a perfect Father who is with us, who loves us with an unfailing love, and who transforms our hearts. If we can get a better glimpse of who He really is, we will be changed. If we hear of His true heart, we will want to be close to Him. There is so much more to who He is that we get to discover. And yet, He bestowed on us this adoption as sons before we could fully understand. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are.